Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 138 of Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Welcome back. Uh, hi, Andrea. Thanks for you got my PR agent got me back on the show again yeah, today. It was a challenge. Yeah, it's getting harder well, and harder. It's tough to book you. It's tough. It is. Mm-hmm. We're back in the comfort of our child's room. <laughs> we, we had to come back here. We had to come back. We'll film again at some point, but man. It's so true. We love this room God. for it. And the angles, the angle, that side angle of me filmed just makes me feel really bad about myself. Well, here's the thing. We can just complicate our lives even more because I've watched a couple other podcasters who have YouTube channels uh-huh. who are like real big pos- podcasters like Grace Helbig and... She has like three cameras. Ah, oh, man, get out of here. But one of her cameras is right in front of her face so that she. I don't know if my picture, a camera in front of my face is going to make me feel any better. Aw, your lovely face, honey. Anyways, so you have launched your course. I have my very first course. Yeah, it's called what? Like one day to always being perfect forever. And, and happy. The end. The Amen. End. No, yeah, the start your year with self care course is awesome. underway. And it has just been like even better than I could have imagined. I have to tell you, like you told me last night that someone in the Facebook group, in the private Facebook book group, she did an illustration. She did a beautiful drawing after she did one of the meditations. My students don't do drawings after they do my classes. <laughs> Your students love you and lavish you with praise. And it's about time. And it's I guess not enough. That. Because I'm an endless pit of need. It's so true. That's why I know. I'm not. You're not. I am, but not for my students. No, these people are incredible. And it has just been such, there's more than 200 of us and going through this together. And you you stopped registration at a certain point because you, because the way you're doing this, which is different than my courses, which is you're really doing it as a cohort. Yes. Right? Yeah. I just wanted it to be a really personal experience. And so I wanted to be able to like be there in the Facebook group. We're all doing it, the same things at the same times, the same meditations on the same days and sort of go through it together. So I did close registration. It was getting a little overwhelming to me. Yeah. And we'll just figure out a time to do something like this again. I know the time. When? Why don't you do something in April? Okay. Yeah. Just something I like, thought you were going to say like next month. Next week. <laughs> well, keep that revenue. Oh my gosh. No, 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 no. Like because spring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's natural that we go through different phases where we kind of want to start again or re-engineer sure. or circle back. Yeah. And these programs or, you know, the courses where it's a really structured experience for people, I'm seeing more and more the value of it. Because there's so many things in life that's kind of a one-off experience. And I've been trying to change that in my classes right, as a yoga right, teacher right, right, for right. so long. Yeah. Because teaching everything as one off is Ugh. just doesn't it's it doesn't not do anything. It's not long term gratifying for no. anybody. Yeah. So figuring it's kind of restructuring things. So it's a more programmed approach, whether mm-hmm. we call it program or course, whatever. So I think if you were to do it in April again, that would be a good time. Yeah. A good time. That would work. Yeah. And I could, yes, create, have enough time to create some new yeah. content. Well, congratulations. I'm Thank so, you. it's been, uh, you know, I've said it in these last couple of series is that it's been really nice watching you get to this phase of content development. Yeah. You know, you are really personal. And uh-huh. it's just, <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I am know, too. That is I actually am too. No, 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 no. I am too. Like, I, I pretend like I'm not, 
but I'm, but I am. Anyways, it's been nice to see how gratifying it's been for you and, and how satisfied you are with it. Yes. It's nice. It's Thank really you. nice. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do, I do have a wait list. If you want to be notified about the next one, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash sit with us and enter your email. And then when I figure out the next time I'm doing something like this, I will let you know. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to get back to beginners today. Yes. And your course just launched, which is super exciting. I never know like when podcasts that we record are going to go live, but by the time this is live, the Art of Teaching Beginners online course with Glow is live. It is available and I am really pumped, super excited about it. Yeah. And I'm going to just do the promo now. I'm going to create a way to get to the the, the Glow landing page. Um, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash teaching beginners. Okay. And you can find out sort of the whole information. But I just want to say, because I was just looking at my notes before this started, and I know that you have said this, but I'm dense sometimes. I think one of the coolest things about this course is that when people finish it, they'll have a four-week curriculum that they can use specifically to teach their students. Yeah. Or like a series to pitch to a their series studio, to pitch. Yeah, studio yeah, yeah. right? So, I mean, the course is like, I'm just going to be honest, the course is long. You know, there's a lot of video. There's like 13 or 14 hours of video. So it's not a quick hit. Like there's a lot of stuff there. I always try to do things like when I conceive of something, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this quick and quick and easy. Mm-hmm. And I can't. It's not your style. It's just not my style. You know what I mean? Because I want to be super thorough. And when I create courses or programs or content or class, like honestly, part of it's for me. Mm-hmm. Part of it's because like that stuff is inside of me and I want to get it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have so many thoughts about what to teach and how to teach and how people learn and how to troubleshoot that I really struggle to be super short format. Like mm-hmm. I just, so I I always make something like sometimes I, maybe I make the cake too big, but I want it all there. Mm-hmm. Like that's the only thing that satisfies me. So this is a big, it's a big program or it's a big course, but yes, in it, the last component of it, uh, the last two components of it are number one, uh, an actual teaching curriculum, which essentially breaks down like for beginners, what are all the standing poses that I teach? What are the standing forward bends that I teach? What are the warrior two based poses? What are the high lunge based poses? What are the kneeling based poses? Like I categorize everything. I systematize everything. We break down what, like, for example, for beginners, what are the back bends that I teach? But not only what are the back bends, but what are the face down back bends? Mm-hmm. What are the kneeling and lunging back bends? What are the reclined back bends? What are the variations that I teach, right? So I break that all down. And then, then the last part of it is there are four 60-minute classes, and they're beginner's classes. The idea is that You can practice these classes as a teacher and then learn them. And then essentially what you have then is you can go out and teach those things. Yeah, that's great. Right? So one of the things that that I'm trying to help people, like, because this started to come up in my advanced trainings a lot, which is I want people that study with me, not just to learn from me, but I want them to also be inspired to organize their teaching contents in a methodical way. 
So I'm trying to help people in my advanced programs learn how to teach not just workshops, but series. And one of those series that I'm always trying to help people learn how to teach is a four-week introduction to yoga series. Because I think that this is super gratifying as a yoga teacher to teach and incredibly helpful for the students that are out there that want to learn yoga. And we have to remember this, like, there are still more people not doing yoga in this world right. than doing yoga in this world. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And then another funny thing that I want to talk about at some point is like, because in social media, you get so much more traffic with big, bold, beautiful things than simple, accessible things. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of, in the yoga world, this kind of urgency to do these like big, amazing visual shapes. But those are irrelevant to the vast majority of yoga practitioners. Right. Right. They're inspiring. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think that we have a, a huge content deficit when it comes to what is actually appropriate for a new student. Mm, mm -hmm. that, this, that's what I'm getting. I'm not bashing the sort of the boldness, the visual boldness of social media. But I'm saying that we kind of have this deficit of understanding what new students actually need. And what is relevant really to new beneficial. students? Yeah. It's like what what is the actual really beneficial. beneficial stuff right. that you can build a practice on, right? And what are the postures? What are the what are the sequences? And what are, to my experience, the techniques, mm -hmm. right? So, the final part of this program is just the a four week beginners course that I teach. Yeah, each one is an hour long, so you could teach it as a four week beginner series and each one is an hour, or you take that content that I've created and add more to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I it, it can either be straight up as is, or I also try for all for everyone that practices with me just to provide you with a really good template that you can expand upon mm -hmm. and incorporate even more of yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, cool. So it's there, it's out. We're going to talk about this, I think, on next week's podcast, but I also think something that you're doing that's really valuable is talking about, and we get we get this question a lot. That's why I'm bringing it up just to like pique people's interest. We will talk about this next week, teaching beginners within the context of mixed level classes. Yeah. So, so hard. hard. So and hard. as much as I don't want it to be the truth, the majority of the beginning students we're going to work with are not in beginners courses. Sure. Yeah. They're going to be in mixed level courses. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll we'll talk about that and how to manage that. So today we're going to talk about essential principles yeah. to teach beginners. Yes. And I think you're going to talk about poses and sequencing? A little bit poses, poses and sequencing, yeah. but a little bit more like what are the asana principles and concepts mm -hmm. that we want to teach beginners? In the previous two episodes of this series, we've talked a lot about how students learn. And we've talked about like best educational principles. We've talked about how to approach teaching beginners, but we really haven't talked about what to teach them, right? We've talked about the approach for teaching them, but but I want to get into- Nuts and bolts. Yeah. Yeah. Like what do we need to actually teach new students? And we're going to focus on in this conversation, asana. Okay. We're not going to go exactly into a ton of poses necessarily, but we're going to talk about the most important principles to teach new students. Cool. Okay. And I also want to say that this is like a very thinly veiled disguise because this is what we need to teach everyone. 
Ah, I like it. I like it. And I'll just say this, which is like teaching beginners to me just reminds me of the most important things to be teaching everyone when I'm teaching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the last thing before we get into these specific things, which is I don't think it's a very structured, consistent, effective, methodical way to learn if, if we are not learning principles. If in every class we're learning several poses and several techniques to execute those poses, better than nothing. But it's a much more effective way if in every class we're learning also a couple principles that is going to help us in every pose, not just how to do triangle, but what are the principles that underscore triangle and effective biomechanics that underscores everything, yeah. not just these individual postures. We need to move away from the world of here's a bunch of poses in an order and a bunch of techniques. We, we need to refine it a little bit more. Yeah. So you have a lot of documentation for this program. Like oh you my have God, a, it's, an, it's, <laughs> And I was looking through it and I'm so proud of you. Every time I read your written, did writing, you look so at it in the, did you look at it in the program, in the course? I don't have a login. To well, I'll give you a login. <laughs> So in this course, there's a 64-page resource guide that is written to go along with the 13, right. 14 pages. So I was just reading it, and yeah. there are some – you do reflection questions, and I was going to ask you some of them. But should we save that for yeah, yeah, since yeah, yeah, we yeah. keep saying, like, and what we're going to talk about right, today right, right. is – let's, talk so about let's just get to what we're going to talk about. Okay. And I'll be as kind of pithy about this as I can. Okay. Okay. That was Conci pithy, concise. concise. I'm not saying that. Easier, easier radio word, concise. Concise. Pithy. <laughs> red leather. What do you wait? What red, red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Is that really like a speech warm up thing? It's it, for theater. Absolutely. I learned that from Kimmy Schmidt. Like, oh, that yeah. was a, that was a thing on because she was supposed to be like a theater geek. Oh my gosh, I love that you know that. Yeah. We, let's next podcast. Andrea will do all of our theater warmups. <laughs> Not okay. So principle number one, which is we want to teach beginners to focus on distributing their attention, distributing their effort, and distributing the sensations throughout the entire posture. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is difficult to teach and understand, but let me just give you an example. Let's say we're teaching beginners reclined leg stretch, supta padangustasana. Well, when you're doing supta padangustasana at any level, but especially beginning level, what are you going to feel the most? Your hamstrings? Your hamstrings. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Is that a good question? Because I've never felt my hamstrings. I've never felt <laughs> anything in that pose. That's the only pose. I can, yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I could give you some, yeah, anyways. Supta Padangustasana, recline leg stretch, or any like basic thing where you're stretching your hamstrings. What are you mostly going to feel? Your hamstrings. But does just feeling your hamstrings and just paying attention to your hamstrings, like, is that what this discipline is trying to teach us? No. This discipline is trying to teach us to produce an equanimous state of being. So, if in a stretch or if in a pose, we are just focusing on the obvious thing that is not really teaching us or giving us a moment of being equanimous, right? And so what I want all students, but especially new students, right at the beginning to say is like, look, you're in supta padangustasana. 
the most obvious thing that you're going to experience are your hamstrings. But right now, moving forward throughout your entire practice, you want to train yourself to pay attention to everything that is present, not just the most obvious sensation. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. let's pay attention to the bottom foot. Let's pay attention to engaging the bottom leg. Let's pay attention to the position of the lower back. Let's pay attention to the sensation of the shoulder blades on the back. Let's pay attention to the relaxation of the face and the coming and going of the breath. So we want to acknowledge that in any given pose, you're going to have a highlight or two or three, and your attention is going to go to those highlights. And that's kind of like the front door of the yoga posture, right? That's what takes you inside. Yeah. But you don't want to live inside No, I mean, the thing I I like about this is that we so often attend first and foremost and only to the thing that seems like a problem. Yeah, the drama. Right, yeah. So it's teaching you to come back to everything else that's happening Yeah. instead of just the drama. So the physicality of yoga, the the physicality of the asana practice, it has to be in, in the context of yoga. And in the context of yoga, we are using the physicality to facilitate in a quantum state. So if I'm only training myself, even on a beginning level, to pay attention to the thing that is dramatic Mm -hmm. and not the whole tapestry of being, then how does this have any relationship to yoga? Mm -hmm. To me, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So it's still good to stretch the hamstrings, don't get me wrong, but it's just we have to to help students right at at the beginning of their practice start to work with these broader concepts of paying attention to their whole experience, mm-hmm. not just one part of their experience, mm-hmm. right? I like it. So the next thing is that your quality and integrity of motion is more important than your range of motion, mm-hmm. okay? And it's very difficult because in contemporary practice, we tend to associate yoga with flexibility right? And yoga does help facilitate flexibility, right? And is one of the things that I value about my asana practice that it helps to increase my range of motion? Yes. I'm not denying that and that is a valuable thing. But if my primary focus as a student, especially as a new student, if my primary focus is to become more flexible and go further in poses, I can pretty much guarantee that I'm going to be really bad at those poses and I'm not going to focus on the important things and I'm probably going to hurt myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or quit. Or quit. Because flexibility and facilitating range of motion takes a long period of time. Right. And so we want to help our students realize like, we'll go back to the Suptapati Ustasana thing. We want our students to realize that they only need to go as far as their threshold as their sensory threshold or as their physical threshold, as far as it takes to produce sensation to help them pay attention, okay? So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, look, if we use the same model and we say Supta or even better, a standing forward bend, if I think that the most important thing for me to go far is for me to go far, I'm probably gonna round my back too far I'm probably going to hold my breath. I'm probably going to strain and struggle because I've identified that going far 
is my objective. But instead, if I identify that being skillful is my objective, that working with my whole body and my breath is my objective, and that going far is only one of many objectives, then I'm probably going to do the posture in a much more safe, skillful, and sustainable way. So when I did teach yoga, I felt like getting people to not hammer on themselves and push themselves was one of the hardest things. So, well, two things. How do you, I think you just said how you do it, which is you you emphasize skillfulness, you emphasize sort of like the purpose of what you're doing. Yeah. But then how do you handle it when people just continue to hammer themselves? Well, to be honest, I just let them be. Yeah. You okay. know what I mean? That's kind of my personality is I don't try to overly micromanage the nuances of human behavior, okay. especially human behavior in a public setting. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? And like also, I give the recommendations that I give, but I don't always follow my own recommendations perfectly. Sometimes I'm the person that hammers on myself to my own. Like one of the reasons I understand that students make so many mistakes and we behave like knuckleheads so frequently is because I do the same, just less frequently than I used to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I kind of, I feel like I understand all the pitfalls of humanness as it plays out in yoga class, because I think I've succumbed to all of them. For me, it's very easy for me to talk about students being reasonable with their bodies and not trying to push hard. And it's okay to be tighter because that, that has always been my physical experience. Like Mm -hmm. when I started yoga, I was as tight as any beginning student that I ever have. So it's very easy for me not just to empathize, but say, hey, look, my heels still don't come to the floor and down dog. Don't try to force your heels to the floor and down dog at the expense of losing the integrity of what the rest of the body is doing. Don't trade off this small detail for all of these other layers. I made that mistake and it didn't get me anywhere. Mm. Don't you make the mistake that I made. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of easy for me to address these concerns because like I can very easily say this is this is you if you are tight you are in the body that I was in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? It takes a long time. Right. Be patient. The, I think the other thing and I say this I tell my students this all the time. Right? Which is there's not some sliding scale of who feels best after shavasana based on who was most flexible in the poses. That's a really good point. I okay. because I think it it could seem like the people who quote unquote go further in the poses and are quote unquote like if it's in your head that they're doing better than you that yeah, they would get more benefit or that they would feel better afterward. No, it's like I for some reason I think cuz I'm drinking water out of a cup that I like. This is I'm thinking this, right? Like if you have a 4 ounce cup, it takes 4 ounces to fill it up. If you have an eight ounce cup, it takes eight ounces to fill it up. If you have like a big gulp, it takes like, what, 72 ounces or whatever no it is, some absurd. Yeah. But like, I think about that when it comes to range of motion, which is if you don't have much range of motion, then you just don't have to go very far to get to your end range of motion. You're full at four ounces. That's as much as your body can handle in this moment. If you have a ton of range of motion, then sometimes you, you might need 16 ounces of motion. 
that makes no sense. But, no, I, but you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's to really help people understand this right off the bat. But we don't want to vilify range of motion, even though some people are hypermobile and we need to address that at some point. But just to help people understand, like, look, when this class is over, the person that has the least flexibility and the person that has the most flexibility are both going to be full. Mm-hmm. You're both going to be complete. You're both going to be satiated so long as you're working with your cards. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the thing that I tell my students all the time now of every level, but especially students is like, look, you're playing the hand that you currently have. Mm-hmm. And you're not playing someone else's hand. You're not playing the hand you wish you had or you used to have. Because we're talking about beginning again for some people too, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is coming back. And when you come back to something, when you come back to this practice, you're coming back with a different situation than you had when you stepped away from this practice. So you have to do what you can do to not compare those two things. Mm-hmm. And that's hard, mm-hmm. right? So letting people know And is everyone going to believe you and act upon your teaching? No. But that's that's that question you asked is you can't micromanage it. Mm -hmm. Or they might not believe you the first time you say it, but maybe the 15th or 16th or that another teacher says it to them another time and it clicks. Yeah. So another really key asana principle that I teach new students is that you want to develop what I call uh, panoramic awareness and microscopic awareness, okay? So what I, I kind of frame it like this. I tell people, okay, look, imagine you're at the top of a building and you're looking at the cityscape, Right? or you're at the top of a mountain and you're looking at a landscape, you have a couple of different things you can look at. Number one, you can look at the landscape as a whole. You can look at the cityscape as a whole. And that's kind of panoramic awareness, right? So that's one level of awareness in a yoga pose. So let's say you're in triangle pose, okay? So if you're paying attention to your experience in triangle pose, in panoramic mode, you're just feeling the whole shape as one whole shape, right? You're feeling, you're not paying attention to one particular detail. You're just feeling how everything fits together. And there's kind of this landscape diffused attention to it, right? That's one level of awareness. Then I talk about the zoomed in or the microscopic level of awareness, which is Let's say in that same setting, you are looking at a city from the top of a building or looking at the landscape from the top of a mountain. Well, you can choose to look at a specific building and pay a little bit more attention to that one building or a tree or a specific mountain in a range. Or maybe there's something really amazing in the landscape, like there's a wild animal, there's a deer or elk or something. You can choose to look at that one thing in the context of other things, right? So we want our new students 
to feel like, oh, I can pay attention to the whole, the whole composition of my body. But we can also pay attention to individual details. We can pay attention to what is the hip joint doing? What is the heel doing? What is the bottom shoulder blade doing? Our students have come to class for many reasons, but they've come to a class. And in a classroom, we get to teach things. So these two layers of attention and awareness to me are really important to introduce right away. I really like this. This is just, it's similar in meditation technique. I get it from meditation technique. Yeah. It's like widen the focus, Mm -hmm. which I actually did this morning because the laundry, you know, the washing machine was on. Um, There were just there's so many noises in the city so you can kind of widen your focus and just notice it all and take it all in and it's all okay yeah or you can do a really specific concentration practice on a very specific narrow thing yeah yeah and for a lot of my beginners classes and again it's like this is one of these things where we might step back and say oh this is this is too advanced no way it's not too advanced but it's also super advanced sure you know what i mean like it's one of these things that to me The longer I teach, the more I see the fundamentals as the advanced things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where when you can execute a fundamental thing in all situations, including demanding situations, you are incredibly advanced in that thing. Yeah. You know, like if you're a high level athlete and you can stay focused in an intense competition and you can do the absolute foundational elements that underscore skill without being taken out of your stride in that stress, you are incredibly good at that thing. Yeah. So the ability to really execute fundamentals in an incredibly skillful way is is a very advanced thing. Mm -hmm. But we have to introduce this to our students, our newer students right off the bat. Core principles. Core principles. Mm-hmm. And and also what makes yoga unique from other forms of moving your body. From other forms of moving your body. Yeah. Right? So another thing that, that comes up to me, which is similar along these lines, is, is okay, now we, we all talk about integrating breath and movement, okay? Now, different approaches to yoga approach breath and movement differently. But I teach vinyasa-based yoga. And so we spend a lot of time using movement as a device to pace our breath, right? So if you, if you step back, and this, this actually isn't the principle. This is the setup for the principle, okay? If you step back and you look at vinyasa yoga, even if you just look at sun salutations, sun salutations do many different things. But for me, the most important thing they do is they establish pace. They establish tempo. And the movements in the salutation help elongate the breath and make the breath consistent and smooth. So the principle that I'm getting at is when you are doing flow or vinyasa-based yoga, your movement is dynamic and in concert with your breath but you are not rushed, okay? So I'll say it again, which is when you do vinyasa-based yoga, you are going to link movement and breath and you're going to be doing dynamic practice, but you should not feel rushed. Mm -hmm. 
I want people to know this from the beginning, from the absolute beginning. If as a yoga teacher or if as a student, you're moving in such a way that on the inside, you feel like you're late for a meeting, I'm just going to say that has no relevance to this tradition or this discipline, and it needs to stop. And yoga is a profound, 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 multi-discipline, multi-skill toolkit, but it isn't everything. And you were talking a moment ago about different ways of moving your body. There are many ways of moving your body where you do move really fast. And they're really healthy for you. And they're really healthy for you. But in those styles of movement, slow, smooth, deep breathing and regulation of your nervous system is not the focus. Cardiovascular exercise is the focus. So if you want really good cardiovascular exercise, do something that is really good for cardiovascular exercise, which is not yoga. It's not. That isn't to say that you don't work really hard. Like the students that are coming to my flow class, especially at Love Story, it's so hard. Is is their heart rate up for a long period of time? Yes. Are they in an aerobic state? Yes. Are they in an anaerobic state? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so... I don't. I don't want to make this too whatever. I think you. Uh, yeah. Okay. All, I think you made it clear. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be too dismissive of other people and and how they want to approach this or say yoga is this and yoga is not that. And I feel like I just got on the verge of that, and that I and that annoys me when anyone else do it does it. So I'm going to say I'm annoyed with myself that I just kind of did it. But as a new student, can we just please give them something where they get to be in their body and work hard if they choose to work hard, but not rush. To slow down a little bit. Just not pack everything in because the rate at which skill decreases when we start to go too too fast on something is rapid. Mm -hmm. So for beginners, let's teach them a strong practice if we're teaching that style. Mm -hmm. Let's teach them a dynamic practice if we're teaching that style. Let's teach them how to move with their breath if we're teaching that, that style. And let's do it in a way where they aren't being rushed. You haven't heard this podcast yet, but it will have run by the time this one is up. I just did one with T.S. Little, this concept that he's writing about, which he describes as speed getting trapped in the tissues. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And just how with our always being connected to our phones and technology, that it's like it's getting embedded in us. And it makes it even more important to slow down and <laughs> to not always be in that speedy state. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. My vinyasa classes, especially my drop-in classes are really hard for my beginners classes. They're challenging. I mean, I think everything is like totally appropriate, but it's challenging. So I love to challenge students and I really love to be super physical myself, but there's ways to do that where we just aren't rushed. Right. You know, where we aren't playing the, the sort of let's increase the tempo game and get even more, pack even more into this experience. Right. It, right? Yes. Okay. I think really the next to last thing, but there's a couple layers to this, is actually there's two more. Okay. Asana practice. Asana and principle. Your asana practice can be difficult, demanding, and at times confusing and, uncomf- and uncomfortable but it shouldn't hurt. 
right? And so I'm, I think we all know this, but that's the language that I use for students all of the time, especially in working with beginners. And I say that at the beginning of my classes pretty regularly, especially when I'm teaching workshops and I don't know students, but especially with beginners is we want them to know this asana principle that, look, is this going to be challenging for you? Probably. Is it going to be difficult and confusing? Probably. Is it going to be awkward? Yeah, probably. But it, it shouldn't have specific pain points. So we want our students to help differentiate difficulty and challenge from pain and inappropriate sensations. Mm -hmm. And I want to be honest, that's going to be a learning curve for a lot of students. And pain versus challenge, that is a difficult scale for some people to unpack. Mm -hmm. And a lot of new students, we, we want to know this as teachers, a lot of new students are not highly conversant with sensation. Like they don't have the discernment yet. They don't have the discernment. And so a lot of times sensation equals pain. Yeah. Or at least in the language, right? So let's go all the way back to reclined leg stretch. Someone that is feeling a reasonable, healthy, and yet demanding stretch in their hamstrings might think, ow, this hurts. That sensation which might not be a negative, inappropriate pain. They might perceive as pain. They might perceive as pain. Interesting. I don't want to hedge too much. I want to stick with this principle of yoga can be challenging, can be difficult, can be awkward, can be kind of uncomfortable, but it shouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. That is an important principle. I don't want to hedge and yet I don't want to overly simplify because for students to discern what is pain versus what is sensation is sometimes a process. Okay. And sometimes requires follow-up. But I think that the best way to do it is to literally regularly tell people, hey, you're going to feel your body. And you might feel your body in ways that are difficult and demanding. You might feel like you want to get out of a pose uh -huh. because it's difficult. One of the things that one of my teachers used to say, kind of how he used to phrase it, was expect a reasonable challenge. So go to a threshold where there's a reasonable challenge. But if something starts to feel unreasonable to you, stop. Mm -hmm. And again, to just know that this is a really important principle and there's ways to language it. And like so many other things, it's a sliding scale and it's a process. Okay. Yeah. 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 The last thing that I want to bring up, which is going to sound so, or at least to me, so self-serving, because literally it is my tagline, right? But it is my tagline because these are important principles to me, not these are important principles because it's my tagline. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So years ago when I was trying to communicate figure out a better way to communicate my methodical approach to vinyasa yoga, I came up with three words, power, precision, and mindfulness, okay? I didn't come up with those things because I was looking for a tagline. I came up with those things because I was trying to, in simple, clear language, 
identify to students what I believed in mm-hmm. and what my classes contained. So I want for new students, I really want for all levels, but we're talking new students, I want classes to contain those three elements. Like I think those are three integral elements to a satisfying and complete balanced practice Mm -hmm. for students, right? So I want all of my students or all new students to be exposed to power, and essentially, I what that means to me is I like robust physicality. I think that robust physicality is a really important dimension of our yoga practice. And I think robust physicality and feeling strong and confident and feeling like you can handle a reasonable challenge, I think that that's a really healthy and important element of yoga for most bodies. And of course, it needs to be scaled properly. The experience of power in my advanced class and my beginning class is going to be scaled differently, but I actually think it's really helpful and valuable to scale your beginner's classes to give your new students a little kick, right? A little challenge. I I think that in, in a modern era, For better and for worse, I think that that's the expectation, and I think that that's what most students are looking for, especially in a vinyasa-based new student setting. Mm -hmm. Precision. So wait, let's go back for a second. Okay. So how do you translate power? I think that perhaps people... It just takes me back to the speed question. Okay. Like, how how do you differentiate those two things? Okay, really good. So... There are three different types of muscular contraction. There's concentric, there's eccentric, and there's isometric, okay? You can think, imagine me doing a bicep curl, okay? When I am curling the heavy weight towards my shoulder, that's concentric contraction. Those muscle fibers are getting shorter while they're contracting. There's eccentric, which is... In an eccentric contraction, imagine the bicep curl that I'm doing. Now, imagine that I just pulled the weight towards my shoulder, and now I'm slowly lowering that weight to straighten my arm again to do another repetition. That's eccentric contraction, meaning the muscles are contracting while they're elongating. And then there's isometric, which is you are holding muscle fibers at a neutral length while they are contracted. So for new students, isometric contraction is probably the safest, healthiest, most efficient strength and sort of physical power Mm -hmm. to develop. So one of the ways to do this is to slow your transitions down And then also to hold poses, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't hold poses super, super, super long, but going kind of quick and doing a lot of things is not super valuable for new students because of the margin for error and doing a lot of things and kind of doing them quickly with the margin of error means you're not doing them efficiently or effectively. So for new students, that power element is to actually slow things down, 
to hold poses a reasonable amount because when you're holding a pose, there's some concentric, there's some eccentric, but it's mostly isometric. Mm -hmm. And so that's a really good foundational strength to develop, right? And I would say also is like, I include in all of my beginner's classes, I include a lot of different planks. I include some core strengthening poses. I include a lot of standing poses Mm -hmm. with not super long holds, but long enough holds that there's skill and there's that isometric demand. So simple shapes like plank. Totally. Yeah. That are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 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 Simple shapes that are hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And the, and the truth is I keep saying this, but that's also the model of my advanced classes. Yeah. You know, there's some novel kind of hard poses that I throw in, but when I decide that, man, I am going to work these these students today, I'm going to just, they're going to get it in intense practice. That almost always means that we are going to do ridiculously basic poses in a way that makes them work so completely mm-hmm. that it's just merciless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre- you saw the sadist in me come out. <laughs> Precision. Precision, which is... It's important to learn things. Yoga is, I mean, there's the Iyengar quote, yoga is skill in action, right? But even without that quote, skill matters. Not that we have to be super hung up about like everyone do things this exact way, but doing things with acumen, with detail, good development, with patience, with repetition, you're going to get better results than if you do things without I think those endeavors, you know, I think I've thought about this topic for a really long time because at Yoga Journal, we always used to talk about, should we do a story about, it was always referred to the story that we never did, never came to fruition. Hey, pitch it. No, I don't don't (laughs) want to do this story. It was always referred to as, yeah, (laughs) the tyranny of alignment. Oh God. Okay. I know. And here's. The problem with this yeah. story is that alignment serves many purposes. Yes. I mean, so many purposes. It focuses the mind. You know, it, it teaches really um, detailed concentration. Also, physically, it keeps you, well, hopefully if you're doing it properly, it keeps you safe in the post. But also it teaches you proprioception. Yes. And there are very few other physical disciplines that teach you that level of proprioception. Yes. And that is going to help you in so many ways, including as you age with your balance and not falling. And that is a huge concern for people as they age. We have a long podcast on this at some point. Okay. Okay. Let me just say, we don't have to be black and white about this subject. Right. It's not one or the other. Right. It's not like, oh, uh, you have to have like this exact alignment or just do whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> like both of those are kind of terrible advice. That's your least favorite thing. You always kind of go back to just do what feels good. Just do what feels good. Just do what feels ever. Like I don't understand because this is actually a subject. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's actually like uh, – anyways. Anyway. That's so, so we can't be so nebulous and vague and uninformed that we're just like, oh, everything is everything. 
I mean, everything kind of is everything on an existential level. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Anytime I, you know, I'm getting like, like, oh wait, everything is okay. Everything. One of the things, one of the things that I that also don't, one of the things I'm also don't like about when we were doing video is if we we're doing video right now, everyone would see I am purple with high blood pressure right now. <laughs> I'll just sort of get as sort of to the chase as much as I can. It's like, do I think that everyone benefits from the exact same alignment? No, that would be the tyranny of alignment. Yes. Do I think that everyone, when they do, like I was just watching this old clip, I won't say who it was or what it was, but I was just watching this old clip and the instructor said, everyone jump your feet five feet apart. Mm. Well, that is insane. Okay, because if you tell everyone in the room that that's their feet, whole height, that's your whole height. <laughs> I would like fall down. Right? <laughs> you you would be in Samokanasana. I would, yeah. Instead of warrior two. Yeah. Okay. So if you're or if you're like We got it. You right. So like when you are dealing with morphology, right? Which is that everyone is a little different. You have to respect that. So I can't tell you that there is one exact position that everyone should do in every pose. But that doesn't mean that in every pose, people should just do whatever and call it that thing, right? Because that's not true. And that sort of leads to the lack of accountability to anything, right? And so what we want to do, what I always think about it is what we really want to understand is that technique and precision are the appropriate parameters. And then there's, of course, always going to be a little life and a little tailoring within those parameters. I'll say it another way, right? Which is you and I, although I think we're behind on a season or two, you and I have watched a lot of Project Runway in our lives. Okay. So I, I kind of think about this, which is almost no one is a fit model, right? If you want something to be exactly perfectly tailored, you probably have to get it tailored. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you're going to go to the store and be like, oh, well, I'm just going to buy whatever. That's you know like what I mean? Analogy. I was wondering where you were going you with that. Like, oh, I'm just going to buy like whatever. That's no, you're going to actually try to figure out something that sort of fits. Yeah. And then if you want it to fit perfectly, you're going to maybe tailor that thing if you have the budget and the wherewithal. I mean, I can't imagine doing that except for when we got married. But you know what I mean? So like- Technique and precision, it like it's really important because it helps us stay focused. It helps us understand the context. It helps us understand how to use our body. And then, of course, you're not just trying to fit a circle into a square. You're also then you have a little bit of your own life to, to sort out the, the nuances within that shape. So we can't be black and white. Yeah. Last component, mindfulness. And what I mean by mindfulness is a lot of different things, but I think what I just want to stick on right now is paying attention to what's happening as it's happening. We want our students to actually understand, especially our new students, because these are the foundations, these are the core principles that we're going to build on. We want our students to understand that being in a shape is not yoga. Paying attention to what you're doing when you're doing it is yoga. So the postures are really the setting and the attention to being in the setting while you're in the setting and tuning into what's happening is actually what the yoga is, 
right? And so to me, these, these are why I have put power, precision, and mindfulness together for so long. It's like, I love robust physicality, and I think that that's an important thing to develop. I think precision is really important, even if your precision and my precision are a little bit different. And then the last thing is to then wind it all together, paying attention to doing what we're doing as we're doing it on all levels, mentally, physically, emotionally, is what integrates all of these layers and to me makes this something worthy enough that I can call it yoga. Like these are the things that to me have to fit together. And they're very simple elements to start to attune our students to right from the get-go. I'm very proud of you. So it's, it's a lot of work to be able to pull out the core principles yeah. of, of something that you care about and something that's such a vast subject. So good oh, job. I appreciate it. And I know we've been kind of long and we'll wrap up, but I can't not do it. Yeah. yeah. I can't not kind of try to get to what is this thing that I'm doing? Right, right. Like this has been 20 years. Right, 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 right. So I invest so much time and thought and energy into this job and I'm not crying about it. I that's I can't imagine doing something else. Yeah. But I can't be random. Makes it meaningful for you. It has to be meaningful for me. And it has to be done in a way where I feel like I can really teach in a way that it, that I want to teach. And this is it. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Thanks for participating in our online programs and showing up at events when we're there. Jason and I really feel like we have a community and that's an amazing feeling for two extreme introverts. I don't think it's anything we ever anticipated and it feels like a huge blessing and a gift. So sincerely, thank you. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 138. Thank you also for your reviews, your iTunes reviews. They really help the podcast. And if you're enjoying it, please write a review or do a five-star rating. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.